welcome to the latest episode of the Changemakers podcast, brought to you by the Thomson Reuters legal team in Australia and emerging markets. Changemakers is a global Thomson Reuters initiative bringing together industry leaders and committed to improving diversity in the legal profession. Your regular host of the Changemaker podcasts is Global Client Director Catherine Roberts. Today's special episode is being hosted by me, Amila Pereira. I'm a legal editor at Thomson Reuters Asia and Emerging Markets, and I'm also a member of Thomson Reuters Pride at Work. We're recording this episode to celebrate International Non-Binary People's Day, which is celebrated on the 14th of July every year and aims to bring greater visibility and understanding of gender identities that fall outside of the male-female binary. Non-binary people may identify as both male and female, or neither male nor female. They may identify as genderqueer or genderfluid, transgender, agender or something else. In this episode, we'll be discussing how the law has begun to recognise non-binary identities, for example, in the decision of Norrie and the Registrar of Births, Deaths and Marriages, where the High Court held that Norrie may well be had the right to have their sex recorded as non-specific. We'll also be looking at where there is still significant room for improvement and greater recognition. Today we have two special guests with us, Frankie Sullivan and Joseph Black. Frankie is a lawyer for legal aid in New South Wales and Joseph Black is a Juris Doctor student at the University of Sydney and is a member of the UCID Law Society Queer Committee. Frankie and Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here, Emila. Me too, hi. Thank you for being with us. Um, So to start things off, uh, I'd like to say I identify as a cisgendered woman and my preferred pronouns are she, her and hers. So cisgendered means that the gender with which I identify, female, aligns with the sex that I was assigned at birth. Um, Frankie, I'll start with you if I might ask. Uh, What are your preferred pronouns and how do you identify in terms of your gender? Sure. So uh, my pronouns are they and them. Uh, In the professional context, I also like to use MX as like a prefix or as a title. My gender identity, I I suppose I would say I identify as non-binary transgender. Mm -hmm. Um, And Joseph, how about you? My preferred pronouns are he, him, she, her, or they, them. Mm-hmm. And I identify as genderqueer, non-binary. It, it really is quite fluid for me. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so look, it's quite easy for me to kind of start a podcast show and very explicitly talk about my gender identity and my preferred pronouns. But I think that can be a trickier conversation to have in sort of more social, uh, fluid social environments. How do you think people can kickstart these kinds of conversations uh, either socially or in the workplace? Joseph? I think for me it's okay just to ask generally what are your preferred pronouns to just have a general conversation just to generally ask. I think it's that's okay for me. Mm -hmm. And Frankie have you had any experiences where this has you know been a comfortable and easy conversation that you've had? Look it's sort of never really a comfortable and easy conversation and that's okay I suppose I've often just sort of not said anything and then waited and waited and you know wondered if it would eventually come up and then that's made it twice as hard when it finally does come up I think again just being proactive about bringing it up in your workplace because presumably you know you might be they might not have a your workplace might not have a whole lot of 
experience or exposure to non-binary identities and I just have found that when I have brought it up it's always been fine it's always been okay Um, but it's just more about being proactive and getting the conversation going and bringing people along with you and I I kind of always wish that I do it earlier but Mm. because it always ends up for me at least it's always ended up being fine yeah sure is that sort of does that reflect what you've experienced Joseph yeah I think so and not every situation is going to be the same it might be different in every a little different in different situations so yeah so in the opening uh, I mentioned the case of Nori and the Registrar of Births, Deaths and Marriages. This was a case about Nori May Welby uh, who underwent gender affirmation treatment and subsequently attempted to register their sex as non-specific. In the High Court the Registrar argued that this was outside the scope of the Act to record someone's sex on the register as neither male nor female. However in its judgment the High Court said the Act itself recognises that a person may may be other than male or female and therefore may be taken to permit the registration sort as non-specific. Frankie, I think this decision came down probably when we were both at law school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember thinking at the time what a landmark decision it was for legal recognition of non-binary identities. In fact, I think Australia is one of the first countries in the world to have any such legal recognition. Uh, has this case had an impact on you either as a legal professional or in how people understand your gender identity? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a pretty big deal to have the highest court in this country endorsing um, gender is something that's beyond the binary, right? Just knowing that we've got a sort of increasing or broadening understanding of gender and that that's across different levels of the legal profession is like a really positive thing. Mm. I suppose that sort of bolstered my confidence in sort of being more outspoken about being non-binary. However, at the same time, I think I was a little bit dismayed by how that hasn't been picked up in potentially in this state in the sorts of ways that you'd like. So to have that non-specific marker on your identity documents, you still need to have some sort of affirmation surgery um, which is again quite restrictive and quite limiting for various reasons so even though it's recognized I think it's hard to actually get that have that lawful status you need to have you know check a whole bunch of boxes at least in New South Wales in order to be entitled to that non-specific gender marker so it's excellent I think it's a really great amazing like you said landmark case it's broadened our understanding it's got you know these sorts of questions of gender put them on the radar at the same time there's just there hasn't been sort of it's been a few years now and it hasn't really been taken up and put into practice quite I would have hoped yeah Yeah. in the sense that we haven't seen much of a a broadening in that direction of opening up a non-specific marker regardless of whether you've undergone certain treatment or yes yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Joseph what does this case mean to you I'd like to add well to say yeah um, sure I I think yeah there are still things to achieve but from my perspective I think it's important to note the case indicates that there is change but also that we can have change Mm. um so I think that's very comforting and motivating to, to think about that this case happened and there can be more as well afterwards. Yeah, so. I think that's um, one of the things that sort of struck me at the time was that it was this recognition or visibility that was previously non-existent. So actually, uh, following on from that, uh, one of the things that I read about was that not long before the decision in Nori, actually, the government introduced a number of protections into the Sex Discrimination Act on 
the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity uh, and intersex status. And there's a set of guidelines called the Australian Government Guidelines on the Recognition of Sex and Gender. Um, And those guidelines actually say gender is a part of a person's personal and social identity. It refers to the way a person feels, presents and is recognised within the community. A person's sex and gender may not necessarily be the same. Some people may identify as a different gender to their birth sex and some people may identify as neither exclusively male nor female. So it's one thing for these guidelines to exist but I'm curious Frankie does this match up with your experiences dealing with government departments and decision makers? Look it's it's a tricky one um, not I mean no not not exactly I think it really depends on the education and info that that client facing people that have contact with the public in various roles or government organisations what what information they have access to because your experience with an organisation is going to largely depend on the sorts of people that you're interacting with within that organisation. Um, at the same time, I think I've found when there's a non-gender specific option or given that option, I'll always take it. If it's not mm. there, I don't, I'm not that proactive about seeking it out because it's just a, you know, maybe not a, a battle that I want to fight at that moment. Yeah. Um, that said, I recently came out, not came out, but have started announcing my appearance in court as MX. So as you as you may know, when you, when you um, are announcing your appearance at court as a solicitor, as a, a practitioner, typically you, you sort of indicate you referred to or you indicate whether or not you're Mr. or Ms. or, or Miss, um, yeah. not really Miss much anymore. And I've just, from the from the get-go when I started appearing, was often referred to as, as Sir or referred to as Ma'am or Ms. And then recently I've just thought, I wonder how this will go down. Um, so I've started my, announcing my appearance as MX and I was terrified. I was initially just like freaking out, sort of worried <laughs> how, how it would be received and didn't really want to put my neck out just because it was, you know, I mean, I think law has got a bit of a reputation for being quite conservative at times. Yeah. And then it's just been picked up really wonderfully. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. I've just been blown away that, I mean, it's obviously a little bit tricky and it's been a bit awkward at times, but there's just been a real willingness from people I work with and within the courts to, to try and I've just been really positively that's that's been a really positive thing I think yeah. I don't know how that would go in the higher courts I mean I'm talking about um sort of small scale local mm. courts sort of stuff um I don't know how that would go like I said in in different courts but I've had some really positive experiences in the court that I'm based at and that's really lovely that's, that's actually really <laughs> heartwarming to hear yeah, yeah it's heartwarming to feel yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it hasn't been as it hasn't been like confrontational at any point no no like, that's this is so great, great. <laughs> that's really awesome So I think we can recognise that there are some pretty deep-seated old expectations of how you present as a legal professional. Is that something that you've uh, thought about and you've come across um, in your working life, Frankie? Yeah, definitely. Definitely this sort of expectation of professionalism within the law um, especially when you're going to court. Uh, and with that comes there's expectations around professional attire and the way we perceive um, sort of men and women at the most professional, it, it, it's a very sort of um, gendered, binarised way. So there's expectations and dress codes about, you know, men requiring a tie if they're wearing a suit at the bar table and things that women should and perhaps shouldn't wear and expectations around, you know, nails and hair and all these little things, right, that, that mm. effectively can um, function to erase non-binary identities um, because 
the end of the day, career suicide is being seen as unprofessional as a lawyer. So there's that tension between wanting to express yourself and wear things that make you feel comfortable and express um, your identity, but at the same time feeling pressure to conform to more binarised standards of, of, of how a lawyer should should look and how they should present. Yeah, thanks. I think that's actually something that, you know, a lot of people don't have to think about or don't have to recognise, so it's really great for you to be able to express that experience to us. Yeah. Um, Joseph, have you had experiences like that, you know, within the university setting or your workplaces? Yeah, so a little bit. So I can kind of relate so um, about feeling maybe a little nervous. Mm. So I've only started identifying more as non-binary and I, I guess you could say maybe performing more femininity, what's maybe a little bit understood as femininity, femininity recently. So after the, Mar- I was in the Mardi Gras parade for um, UCID this year. Cool. And a few weeks after that, we had class and I said to myself, okay, maybe for my seminar, I'm going to wear makeup today. Um, and I was very very nervous and scared to mm-hmm. do that, but I did it. And I went to the room, the classroom, and it wasn't a problem at all. So people kind of just were good to me. They yeah. were inclusive, and um, I really appreciated that. Yeah. So it was it was quite a different experience than in high school. Yeah, sure. Um, so I appreciated that a lot. I, I think yeah, university, in my experience at least, has been inclusive, and that's just speaking from my perspective, my, my experience. So we have the queer committee in the law school, um, the university participates in Mardi Gras. So there is a support network there that's available. That's Yeah, I think there's something interesting to be said about the ways in which any kind of, any, any part of your identity that you're not used to expressing or being open about, there can be a lot of anxiety just around how it will be received. So I think it's really positive that you've both had experiences where you've kind of put your neck out in that way and it's, and it's been a good supported thing. Mm. Right. I'm glad to hear that you had that experience thank at you. class. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, so that's why I appreciate participating in Mardi Gras. Mm. So I want to continue that, help build a supportive environment. And I think as lawyers, that's important as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you feel like being in Mardi Gras kind of gave you that feeling of having like a support network and a community to engage within? Yeah. And several people noted that. Yeah. So one of the things that I've discussed with non-binary friends is that it can be difficult um, identifying yourself as non-binary in a workplace context. Um, And I think maybe that's partially because, you know, as Frankie said earlier, people tend to make assumptions uh, about your gender based on your name or based on the way that you dress or the way that you express yourself. So I'm wondering what are some things that, that would help you to feel more comfortable expressing your gender identity at work and I'm guessing thinking particularly within the legal profession uh, Joseph yeah I think maybe there could be diversity training I think that could be helpful bringing an awareness about non-binary LGBT plus in in general so I did study abroad in Canada Mm -hmm. um, for my undergrad and they had something called the safe space program and you could also get stickers after passing the program and you put it throughout the university mm-hmm. and that indicated that was a safe space. So creating, incorporating these symbols to indicate this is a safe space can help indicate to me that this is a safe environment, an environment that's inclusive and where I can feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think things like this, maybe events celebrating International Non-Binary Day could, could be helpful um, and appreciated. Yeah. Um, and sorry, on that point, did you... 
celebrate International Non-Binary Day? Um, Was there anything that you did personally to kind of bring attention to the day? So so a little difficult with COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. But I did, um, so had a little celebration with uh, my partner and my friend. Mm -hmm. So so that was nice. So hot pot. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome um and and Frankie um I know that you've spoken about this a little bit already but uh are there some things that you can think of which would make it easier for you to identify or feel comfortable um identifying your or expressing your gender identity at work I don't know as, as you were asking that I was sort of thinking I, I don't know I mean I'm, I've only ever been drawn to employers that I know will be okay with me being sort of who I am mm. right so um if that's just sort of reading businesses sort of not a business but an organization's I don't know mission statement or reading up about the programs that they have or reading up about sort of what they do f- to promote diversity and inclusion within that workplace yeah that's that's sort of something that I definitely um sort of have have my eye on when I'm entering a different workspace but as for inclusion I mean I don't know pronouns are have, have been a big one for me in the past where I've just wanted my pronouns to be accepted or just acknowledged and I'm actually really pretty pretty chill about people (laughs) using different pronouns because at the end of the day I get it like it's it it requires a big reworking and and rewiring of the brain to sort of think about they as a as a a singular um, pronoun I get it and it it doesn't massively bother me if people um, refer to me as she or mister or him or whatever like that's fine But I suppose if I do take that step to, to let people know that I do use they, I usually would just, again, sort of be like, hey, like here's a link to what the, the hell this means in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's just really lovely if people just try or sort of say, hey, just to clarify, does this mean you'd like me to refer to you in, in you know all contexts as they or where possible or just to even say, look, I'm really sorry, I'm going to muck it up, but but thanks for telling me. Just that sort of, if you, if you put your neck out, just to have that acknowledged and have people say, oh, yeah, like that's new, but we'll give it a go. That's that's all I would ask for yeah and that's typically what's happened and I've been really grateful for that yeah I I think that there is a level of um, anxiety around getting it wrong but I think that is potentially misplaced actually one of the things that I thought was really cool that I came across recently um, I got an email from a judge at the family court and um, he had his pronouns in his email signature oh yeah yeah and that's cool it was yeah it was really genuinely heartwarming um I think particularly in the family court jurisdiction which has had to deal with particularly you know children with gender dysphoria it's it's actually a good thing to see that there's an awareness there I love that practice of of pronouns being included in email signatures I mean I don't do it because I I just I don't know I think it makes me feel a little bit nervous but whenever I receive an email I'm just like yes great yeah (laughs) yeah just because it um gets conversations started around pronouns and yeah and and just sort of it's just about awareness raising and visibility I suppose at the end of the day yep yeah and I was thinking about that because you know like I have my pronouns in my email signature now after I made sure that that was an okay thing for me to do but it's uh you know even though I'm I'm a cis woman, it's important for me because it's not my battle. It's important for me to be able to show that it's something that I care about and that it's something that everyone should care about and it should be normalised. I think that's really the core of it, is normalising discussions around gender identity and pronouns. Yeah, I think it's like demonstrating inclusion and yeah, that's I think that's great. I think uh, we'll wrap it up with a sort of last question to both of you or more of an invitation, I suppose, uh, 
Uh, if there's any final thoughts that you want to express on gender and on what others can do to help affirm diverse gender identities or how workplaces can be more inclusive if you have uh, any further thoughts on that. Frankie? Yeah, sure. So I think something that I was reflecting on recently is that I think we fear making other people uncomfortable, right? We, we mm. fear causing yeah. discomfort. It, it brings a sense of um, embarrassment to be the source of that discomfort in others and even if it's not there we just it is a big it is a big fear you don't you don't want to bring discomfort to the people ar- around you typically but I think what we don't consider is that with discomfort comes growth and change and I know that when I've been uncomfortable about something or I've been called out on something that I've said and you feel uncomfortable that is just because you're you're sort of processing something and, and, and you, you've got new information, you're trying to figure out what you do with that information and, and we ultimately grow, right? There's, all, there's often discomfort at the start but then that discomfort's never really followed up with like wholesale rejection. It's always just followed up with maybe a bit of a pause and then sort of, you know, adapting over time and, and, and generally a really good response and a really good outcome. That there's, there's, it's a bit tricky when it comes to clients. I, I, don't, I would, would never put my gender identity on the table in a way that might distract from my clients because ultimately their matters, it's, it's about them. They've got a lot going on and, you know, I, I would never sort of want to make my clients feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, then I've got clients that, that are trans I've got clients that may be non-binary and I do also think that a big part of putting putting my neck out there was just thinking this isn't so much about me but if I can bring some visibility for non-binary identities into the courtroom then maybe that may make it easier for some of my clients or people that come through the court system that um, who themselves aren't aren't cisgendered or or yeah who who might have different gender identities Mm. yeah and I I think that's really awesome that you're out there doing that and being who you are in a in a way that is true to yourself and that you're able to do that in the legal profession is really awesome Joseph how about you any final thoughts I think so I have two maybe final thoughts one of them is just find your community Mm. so you know love just join that community Mm. you can find support through that I think that's really really vital um, especially as an individual who is historically disadvantaged generally I think the other thing is to not be afraid to be bold and beautiful that's so great I love that (laughs) Thank Thank you you. so much. Look, I just want to say, Frankie and Joseph, thank you for coming in and speaking with us for International Non-Binary People's Day. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for helping to bring greater visibility to non-binary people. Thanks for listening to the Changemakers podcast. Until next time. 